Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Mob Talk. Um, this is a very special episode, Love Me or Hate Me. Um, I have some very special guests in the room tonight. Um, I am ecstatic to have them, and I think that they will bring a very unique perspective to this conversation. Um, known them uh, since they entered into this world. So um, for us to have a conversation now as adults, it's, it's going to be um, quite different. Um, but what is most people may not know is that the conversation that we're having um, on a Christmas morning or during the game, whatever NBA game may be on during Christmas Day, a conversation like this may erupt. So um, we're going to keep it very low key. We're going to keep it casual. And we're just going to talk through some of the uh, subjects that are plaguing black men and just black um, black people in America during this time. So let me just do a brief introduction, and then I'm going to let these gentlemen kind of give you a background about themselves. First of all, let me introduce Dr. Ryan C. Durr. Um, Dr. Durr is my brother. Um, and uh, very happy to have him in the room. And next, I'd like to introduce Pastor Damien Durr. Damien is my first cousin. Our fathers were brothers. And so uh, have been around each other for all of our lives. So um, very tight-knit family, and I will allow them to give a little brief intro of themselves. So, Ryan, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I can. Uh, like Robin said, I'm Ryan Durr, um, born and raised Cleveland, Ohio, Bedford Heights, Ohio. Uh, like I said, I've known both of these two wonderful people my entire life. A um, uh, little bit about me, I'm a lifelong educator. Um, I have been a teacher. Um, I've been a assistant principal and currently am a principal. I've been a principal in uh, Cleveland schools, Nordonia schools, and now I am a principal in Baltimore City Schools in uh, Maryland. Uh, and that's about, that's about it about me. All right, thank well, you, sir. Damien, go ahead. Um, as has already been stated, um, a family conversation. And my name is Damien Duren, of course, Cleveland, uh, born and raised. And obviously spent quite a bit of time in Bedford Heights, um, all year round, ultimately. Uh, and so grateful to continue to see the way in which my cousins have continued to grow and continue to follow in the footsteps of many in our family of educators. Um, so I um, left Cleveland, went to Nashville, Tennessee, and of course went to American Baptist College, um, and then from American Baptist College in Vanderbilt, and was serving with the Temple Church and inevitably ended up serving in the public school system in Nashville, working for the Children's Defense Fund around uh, Cradle to Prison Pipeline, uh, as well as working in a church. And now I'm currently in Dallas, Texas, serving as executive pastor at Friendship West uh, Baptist Church. And again, uh, honored to be on tonight. All right. Well, thank you. Um, we're going to go ahead and kick this off. And um, I titled this Love Me or Hate Me because we know that recent times um, are highlighting um, issues in regards to African Americans in this country. And there seems to be this love-hate relationship going on. Um, when we can dribble a ball, when we can hold up a microphone, we are loved and revered. However, we see that there is a lot of um, 
opposition to the lives of, of Black folk mattering in this country. And so I just wanted to start with just some history um, of how we kind of got to this place in this country. Um, we know that some will not acknowledge that there is systemic racism in this country. However, we're gonna talk about some things that kind of are factual evidence of the building of this system um, that is known as racism because it is definitely a construct meant to oppress uh, minorities. So um, I wanted to start off with it's early on, um, the Willie Lynch letters, again, we know that this was a formula um, created by an entrepreneur that was um, selling this uh, process to white um, slave owners as a way to keep their slaves in check. So there were principles in this, such as breaking in of the slaves and um, taking of their minds to submit. So um, I wanted to talk to both of you on how um, the, the, you know, taking of the minds created the beginnings of what we know as racism um, in this country. I'll let, I'll let okay. Dr. Durst start us off. <laughs> uh, so, you know, when, when you think about the mind, you know, you think about the power of the mind and, and, and all that it can do, um, you know, thinking about this time, especially with slaves, the construct behind it was to, if we take their minds, we can, we can control them. Um, and that was the big piece of it with the control. Uh, if you think back to the Willie Lynch letters and, 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 the, and the, the plan that was put in place and how they wanted to do that, you know, they speak to, uh, of these slaves as animals that, you know, if you read it, it talks about breaking the Negro, you have to break him. And they compared it to how you break a horse, you know, you had to get it to a controlling piece. So, you know, part of it was getting them in control and controlling their mind. And that didn't just start when they were in the slaves that started at, as children. So, you know, they, they, you know, did things where they, they called it their inbreeding or their breeding of slaves. Uh, and they would take those children at a young age and start to brainwash them. So they would get their mind then in hopes to continue to control them throughout their life. So, uh, I think that's kind of where it started um, and, and that that control piece. And they knew that if they could control their mind, they can control what they do, where they go, how they live. And they would be in a thinking, uh, in, a, in a mindset thinking that what was going on was correct. And that was how it was supposed to be. Uh, when in reality, we know that that is completely the opposite of what it was. So. Uh, I can't think that's kind of my perspective on how it is. And they, they, they started with the controlling of the mind. Yeah, and I, uh, thank you. Uh, and, I, and again, echoing those sentiments um, in terms of the controlling of the mind. And one of the immediate scenes that I begin to think about is that scene from Birth of a Nation um, that came out a few years ago with uh, Nate Parker. And he's obviously sitting there, and this is again after he's baptized somebody who was white, and now they're you know the slave master is coming to bring the preacher over here to reprimand him, and they start going scripture for scripture, right? And, and even the way that setup is, when we talk about the mind and slavery, it was also how do we use something like the Bible to substantiate your inferiority and your need to be subject to me because it's divinely ordered that you are less valuable than I am. And so thinking about kind of 
um, what Muhammad Ali said when he was like nine, eight or nine years old when he asked his mother when he saw a picture. He said, "Mommy, there ain't no white angels. I mean, no black angels." And then Ali caught himself, and this is what he's. This is how he's processing to the point that me and Robin were talking about it, uh, earlier with children. He said, "Oh, I know where the uh, black angels are. They're in the kitchen cooking for the white angels." Mm. Now, what he understood at that time, right, even was this role where we were relegated to always not second class first. It was three fifths that you not even. As you said, Dr. Durf, right, you're not even a human. So the way we're dealing with you, having zoologists deal with you as you on the auction block. Um, and I think what we have taken place now, one, because of the massive amount of information available, is a reckoning, as uh, Eddie Gloss says in his new book uh, by James Baldwin, where the truth of history, starting stuff like Bree Newsom going to get that Confederate flag, because all of those things which was substantiated during slavery, but it's based on too, the theology that ultimately says that black, the curse of Ham, all of these things that divinely, all of the images of things that are supposed to be divine, Mary white, Jesus white, Joseph white, the disciples are white. Now, if it doesn't matter, why if there's been archeological, geological, biological evidence proving that they didn't look anything like that. Why would you continue to perpetuate that image? That's also to continue to reinforce subconsciously and consciously that you are always supposed to serve and be under my, and what, you know, under my leadership, guidance, control, and thus, if you think at any given moment that you're not supposed to be under that control, there are consequences and repercussions to that. Because what you see in that movie, which is why that movie is so critical, he doing the work of ministry, but they bringing him to the plantation to continue to what? Control the mind through the word, through through the preach, right? Because they can't, slaves are not, they don't have an individual Bible, so you interpret it. And this is what we want you to preach. And so what then begins to happen is that, that, that lack of valuing because it's of the, how you were viewed in terms of God is white. Jesus is white. Jesus is white. Mary white. White must be pure, holy, wonderful. Just a people don't. But that reality now finds its way into organizations, institutions, and that spirit that has been sanctioned with a kind of with a spiritual divine reality is sanctioned by that. So the breaking of the controlling of is sanctioned by based upon all of the divinity being more valuable to God. And we were looking at some pictures recently, old pictures, 15th, 16th century pictures, where they either had, you know, the whole nativity scene, and they had, to, if they had to have one wise man who was black, he still wasn't close enough to Christ, even in those paintings. So that's always trying to reinforce a particular subjugation, second-class mindset that that's what you're supposed to always be. And so what we, what, we, what we have happening is those things that have been so long substantiated are now coming to, to, to bear. And I think when we look at policing, I'll say this last thing and finish this point. When we look at policing, I said, I was looking at the, uh, the chief of police of Minneapolis and he was standing on the platform after, after George Floyd's murder and just talking. And then he had a step and repeat in back of him. And I looked at the badge that was um, on the step and repeat. It said Minneapolis 
1867. So their police department was started in 1867. I'm in Dallas. I was looking at a police car and it said 1881. And I started just doing some research on police stations, police departments and when they were founded. Well, even those two, why is that critical? Because that's reconstruction. That's when you get now HBCUs, black senators, you then begin to get a proliferation of resources, leadership opportunities, independent institutions and organizations that ultimately pose, pose a problem because you were never supposed to get to this point. And we have shown you through bombing your houses in your neighborhood. If you move in a neighborhood, we will just bomb your house. Not only will we bomb you, we'll collude with the realtors, with the mortgage brokers, with the appraisers, with everybody to make your uh, living environment seem as though it is animalistic, that it is not taken care of, that the value we devalue. Uh, but that devaluing is based upon the way in which the theology and the spiritual images, I think, also reinforce in that scene, and obviously Birth of a Nation, if people didn't catch that movie is about the way in which the biblical text is also used to substantiate evil, violence, destruction, and things that are anti uh, the God of the Bible in terms of flourishing for humanity. Okay, I'm done. No, 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 no. I, I, was, I just wanted to um, expound upon that point. Um, we know that even in the midst of slavery, one thing that we held onto was faith. And um, looking at the construct to which religion was used, how do you think that um, we were able to reconcile those two kind of paradigms um, that, you know, this was being used as a way to um, keep control, but for us, it was um, to keep our, our sanity. Um, even though, you know, it was twisted by the white man, we still seem to have found our own kind of, of understanding of faith in God that was enough to keep us, uh, you know, just uh, sustained during some of the most horrible periods in our uh, history. Yeah, so as, as you bring that up, and, and, and Damien was talking about that, first thing I thought about was, you know, uh, the strength of our faith as a people. Uh, you think back to the old Negro spirituals, and, and, and you know, if you, if you think back to what they said was going on in slaves uh, and plantations, the slaves out there singing spirituals, and as you say, they were trying to uh, reconstruct and change their mind and their thinking about those spiritual pieces of it. Uh, my thought was, <laughs> you know what, you know why we made it? There was that old, uh, we had him in our church, his name was Deacon Jester. And he was the one who was the oldest in the church. And he was the one who was gonna tell us like, no, nah, that's not right. And he was gonna tell pastor if he wasn't, you know, so he was the one. So I'm thinking that back then they had them, the Deacon Jesters and those uh, Miss Rosses and you know, Miss um, um, Harkness and you know, all of those people I can think about, you know, uh, Dame, all the ones that we had at your church, you know, just, uh thinking about them and thinking about how they were the pillars uh, of those churches and those those of our faith so they were the ones who were doing the teaching so i'm thinking as they're going out and preaching this false falsehood to us uh that we were getting these pieces from the background saying you know what let me let you know the real uh because i know uh when i think about deacon justice deacon justice didn't have any education 
but he was one of the smartest brothers I knew. He was one of the smartest men I knew. He could talk about anything. You ask him something about history, he was going to spit it on the spot. You ask him where to find something in the Bible, he was going to spit it on the spot. You know, so I think that, you know, behind the scenes, these things were going on and we were getting it. And, I, and I'll, um, echoing that, it, and it is also to the point that you made, Robin, and then to the point, that Ryan, that you just um, connected with, it is what we brought over here because we already had an understanding of God. We already had a belief in the power of God working in humanity because, again, the, the whole African notion of who we were as Africans coming over here and not until I went to um, St. Helena Island, which is Gullah Island, which is its own separate, its own separate representation at, at uh, the UN and all of that. Well, finding out how many of us came through um, South Carolina, well, what I ended, what we ended up finding out, eighty percent of the, uh, those of us who were enslaved came through. But all of the iron, all of the uh, cast iron and the rod, well, that came from blacksmiths from Angola who bought skill sets over here already. We bought a belief and understanding about uh, a creator um, that worked with us, that was everywhere in ways that we see in Christianity, omnipresent. We knew that already. Our, our ability to, to take what they were giving us that was supposed to continue to keep us enslaved. And as you said, Ryan, when we worshiping down at the Brush Harbor or the Hush Harbor, that was stealing away, which is a part of those Negro spirits, steal away. So when they saying what? So, so I always say where hip hop really started is in those spaces. Why? Because swing low, sweet chariot coming forth to carry me home. Now, how that was being heard and understood was not the under the other definition on the backside in terms of what they were communicating amongst themselves, which was what? At this time of night, we come into what? It's time to dip, right? It's, the, it's, it's who coming on the river to ultimately pick up folks to take them to freedom. That's what Swing Low Sweet Chariot coming forth. They weren't talking about in the by and by, which is what the white slave master was interpreting the spiritual. He was interpreting the spiritual to me. Oh, they talking about by and by. No, they talking about tonight or two nights. However they were singing, it was a coded language that even in the face of the oppression, they had a cold language that they were communicating amongst themselves. That's what hip hop really is. It's the ability to have what layered meaning, double entendres, to say things that if people don't know certain things, you don't even know what those words mean. Because if you ain't from New York, if you ain't from LA, if you you don't even know what the, you don't even know what the language means that's being put in the music, because it's a cold language for people who understand that. So, to, so, so it has always been our ability and our faith. We, we become alchemists, alchemists, right? We transform positive, negative into positive. We transform hell into hope. We transform pain into power. But that's also what has what? Most intellects, who said it like this? Most intellects don't believe in God, but they fear us just the same. Talk to me here, right? So it's, that's been part of it because, because what Ryan said, somebody like Deacon, who don't have degrees and names and letters, he got an insight and an understanding and a wisdom and a knowledge that allows him to make moves that people with degrees don't even know exist. He making moves that they don't even know exist, but that's something, that, that's something to do with what he got in him based upon where he come from. 
And the more you begin to kind of tap into, that's why when I was a teacher, what's the first thing students get when they're coming in? The African-American inventors list. Let's begin to automatically give you an alternative understanding of the things that are a part of the world in which you live, but that's a part of your DNA, which is why you do other things that you was connected to this history and this legacy. And this legacy was born in the midst of pain, in the midst of hell, in the midst of terrorism. We were able to transform that. And it's been because of our faith and belief that what God was going to be just, that God was going to transform things for us, while at the same time that we also played a role in what? Being God's hands and feet in the world. That's the thing that when Erica says that, they don't believe in God, but they fear us just the same. Because you're not supposed to be in the You're not supposed to be the NFL. You're not supposed to be a principal. You, you, you're not supposed to be able to deal with these folks and not allow that poison to poison you. And that makes some people admire you and it makes some people fear you. Mm-hmm. And when yeah. you know you have also heaped massive amounts of stuff on folk, you always live with a possible belief that at some point, what Thomas Jefferson said, I just read this day, if God is just, they in trouble. 